Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan hurdles towards a no-confidence vote. Who are the key players in the country's political crisis and how could this affect India? Hello and welcome to Worldview, episode 54 here at The Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. Uh, Pakistan's political waters have never really been calm, but the last few weeks and days have been particularly choppy, even by those standards. Remember, the opposition leaders have come together in a united front, really, to present a no-confidence motion or an NCM against Prime Minister Imran Khan's PTI government, the Pakistan Tehreek-e-Insaf party government. That motion is expected to be taken up in the National Assembly on March the 28th. To win the vote, the PTI actually needs a simple majority. In the 342-seat assembly, it needs 172 seats. At present, the PTI actually has 155 seats of its own and the rest come from its allies. Remember, Mr. Khan actually proposed his own confidence motion just a year ago, in March 2021, and won that since the opposition at the time was much more disunited. And he won 178 seats, so the PTI won 178 seats at the time. In fact, if you look into past history, in 1989 and in 2006, the only two previous non-confidence motions in Pakistan, the government of the day, first Benazir Bhutto and then Shokat Aziz, were actually able to survive. Now, this NCM has been brought by all the traditional Pakistani opposition parties, as I told you. And these include a number of parties. Many of these are going to be acronyms for you. But the first is what is called the Umbrella Organization, the Pakistan Democracy Movement. It was set up in 2020 originally, and it comprises a number of parties, most notably the PMLN or the Pakistan Muslim League Nawaz, which is, of course, led by the Sharifs, most notably former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, but now it's his brother Shabazz Sharif, who's more in charge as there are many cases against his brother. Conservative parties like the Jamaatul Islam of Fazlur Rahman and other what are called Jamaati parties are also part of the PDM. And then there are more secular and regional parties like the Baloch National Party, the BNP, Aftab Sherpao's Komi Vatan Party as well, which is more towards Khyber Pakhtunkhwa. And then there are the parties that aren't part of the PDM but are in the opposition as well, most notably the Pakistan People's Party. This is Benazir Bhutto's party, headed before that by her father, and this is still headed by the Zardari Bhutto. So Asif Ali Zardari and his son Bilawal Bhutto. And then the, there's the ANP, the Awami National Party as well, which is of course led by leaders who are descended from Bacha Khans and others there. It's a Pakhtun party. So this is again another regional party. Now both the PPP and the ANP were actually part of this Pakistan democracy movement earlier, but then they quit. In fact, that is why this particular non-confidence motion is much more important as it signifies that after all this time and all this wrangling, Pakistan's opposition parties have actually come together again. Let's just take a look at why this timing for the NCM in March of 2022 could signify much more trouble for Mr. Khan. In fact, many betting that he may not be able to muster the numbers he needs to begin with. Key allies of the PTI government, remember I mentioned them, like what is called the PMLQ and the MQM. Now I have to explain these as well. The PMLQ is the Pakistan Muslim League. The Q is for Qaeda or Muhammad Ali Jinnah. And this refers to a, an offshoot of the PMLN that came off in 2002. The MQM, of course, is a much more Mohajir party. They're very strong in Karachi mostly. Now, both of them were part of the coalition with Mr. Khan's party. 
And now, in the last few days, are distancing themselves. Their support for Mr. Khan is actually in some doubt, particularly if you go by the statements being made by their leaders. One of the particularly watched meetings, in fact, was interesting. It was between the PMLQ's chief, Chaudhry Shujat, and the Chinese deputy high commissioner, or the DCM over there, that prompted some concerns that even China is now playing some kind of a role, of course, over tones of what we saw in Nepal in this crisis. Now, some members of the PTI, meanwhile, have also said that they will vote against the government. Some, in fact, say they are going to be holed up in opposition-controlled guest houses, Sindh House in particular. There's also real fear of violence as the opposition now plans a march into Islamabad on March the 25th. And the PTI has called a rally of Imran Khan supporters in Islamabad on March 27th. So clearly the worry is that one or the other could clash or they could prevent lawmakers from entering parliament as well. So a lot being watched there. In fact, so preoccupied was the Imran Khan government with its own political developments that a massive scare from India, where a missile that was launched by mistake on March the 9th and landed in Pakistan, of course, without causing any damage, didn't actually set off many political alarm bells, alarm bells and the incident was managed without escalation. We'll tell you a bit more about that. The build-up, this is another reason for the timing being important, the build-up to the NCM comes at a particularly awkward time uh, for Pakistan internationally, as Pakistan is ce celebrating its National Day on March the 23rd. It's like the Republic Day here. The massive parade as well, and a number of special guests expected. In fact, about 48 foreign ministers of the o Organization for Islamic Cooperation, the OIC, are due to attend an OIC conference in Islamabad on the 22nd and then stay on for this address, while Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is expected to visit as well. And then there is the historical reason. Remember, since 1947, no Pakistani prime minister has completed a full five-year term. The first Pakistani prime minister, Yaqat Ali Khan, was assassinated about four years into his tenure. And uh, subsequent prime ministers have lasted even less, with only, I think, uh, the PPP's Yusuf Raza Gilani and then, of course, Mr. Nawaz Sharif actually completing even four of those five years mostly due to political instability, corruption cases against them that disqualify them, and then military coups, of course, that we have seen several of in Pakistan. Now, even if Mr. Khan does win the vote, he has a very tough year ahead. And general elections that are due in 2023, in any case, are going to throw up political challenges. Let's just quickly take a look at why we say he's going to have a fairly difficult time, because there are a number of political challenges uh, besides the actual politics that we are seeing play out right now. To begin with, of course, the most important in Pakistan is always the relationship with the military establishment. And it has been particularly tense. From originally being called a selected prime minister in 2018, Mr. Khan has had open differences with his army chief, General Bajwa, subsequently. In fact, matters came to a head, you may remember, last year over the appointment of the DGISI to the Peshawar Command. And given that General Bajwa's tenure ends in November of 2022, Pakistan's all-powerful military establishment may actually prefer having a more friendly prime minister to work with. And we heard Imran Khan say at a speech uh, a few days ago, some very interesting comments where he talked about the army being neutral in this political crisis and saying only animals can be neutral. Everyone else has to tell the difference between right and wrong. So fairly harsh words there. 
Now, the second most important relationship, some would say, of course, this was much more true in the past than now, are the tensions with the United States. For most of his political career, Imran Khan has had a testy relationship with America, apart from a brief period of bonhomie, particularly with President Donald Trump when Prime Minister Khan visited Washington. The U.S. has really come down very heavily over the last few years on Pakistan, cutting aid, cutting uh, military support over Pakistan's links with the Taliban and other terror groups. Although the U.S. military has continued to engage the Pakistani military on the peace deal with the Taliban in particular. Now, U.S. President Biden, and this makes it really interesting, has not called Prime Minister Khan even once since taking office. And when he invited uh, Imran Khan to the U.S. Democracy Summit last year, and we did a worldview about that, Mr. Khan actually rejected that invitation. Meanwhile, on the other hand, Imran Khan has visited China four times in four years as Prime Minister, and this year also visited Moscow on the very day that Russian President Vladimir Putin announced the invasion on, uh, he's called the military operations on Ukraine. So clearly that hasn't made relations better with Imran Khan, although, as I said, the military relationship seems a little on a more even keel. Meanwhile, then in Afghanistan, there's been no recognition for the Taliban and ties with the Taliban have not really improved since they won control of their country, gained independence from their Pakistani controllers. It's actually become a little more distant. And even on issues like dealing with, for example, like dealing with India, we have seen some differences between the Taliban and Pakistan. And the Taliban has been at odds on other issues as well. Uh, meanwhile, Prime Minister Khan has been unable to lobby successfully for any other country in the world to actually recognize the Taliban regime. And this has been another area of contention, if you like. Then there is the economic crisis that Mr. Khan faces. Uh, the PTI government certainly inherited an economic crisis from its predecessors, but it has not really been able to improve on it. COVID is one of the big reasons. But there have been many chances to carry out big reforms, which they have not, instead looking at welfare schemes. So as a result, rising inflation, a burgeoning current account deficit, worries of a debt default, given the increasing CPEC loan, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor loan value, these are all big concerns for him. And while Mr. Khan has probably distinguished himself in forging trade agreements in the neighborhood, particularly with landlocked Central Asia that wants to trade through Pakistan, to the Arabian Sea, this hasn't yet resulted, of course, in results on the ground. And then there is the Financial Action Task Force, which we've spoken about in the past, which really is adding to all the stringent financial regulations, the tough rules for loans, all as Pakistan remains on the gray list for the FATF. It's been there since 2018, so actually his entire tenure, mainly because the FATF has said that Pakistan has not yet completed prosecution, successful prosecutions of UN-banned terrorists like Hafiz Saeed, other Taliban and Al-Qaeda leaders as well. And that brings us to the last problem, which is of terrorism. And even though there is a marked lowering, or lowering of threats, even violence uh, from Islamist groups that target India, uh, the Taliban is now there in power in Afghanistan. So that's not so much of a worry. Even so, especially this year, Pakistan is seeing a resurgence in terror violence, mainly from the Tehrike Taliban Pakistan and the Baloch Liberation Army, or the BLA. And we've seen uh, a number of bomb blasts in cities, including Lahore and Karachi, series of attacks also in Balochistan, in which military personnel have been killed. So let me come very quickly to how India 
has to look at events in Pakistan, given that this crisis, this political crisis that Pakistan is dealing with is not really about India-Pakistan relations. Even so, to start with, instability in India's neighborhood is always going to be a cause of concern, always going to be a cause of interest. On the upside, of course, it is that Pakistan's internal turmoil will keep the establishment occupied and not really focusing on being a threat for India. Uh, the second is that while Imran Khan personally started out his tenure offering a hand of friendship to India, if you remember in 2018 he proposed and then subsequently completed the Kartarpur Gurdwara Corridor project for Indian pilgrims and for other Indian pilgrims as well, several projects from his government, he soon turned against the Modi government, especially after the government's reorganization of Jammu and Kashmir in 2019, the dilution of Article 370 and all that followed. So a different prime minister at the helm, for example, the Sharifs, have been able in the past to build a back channel instead with Prime Minister Modi. They are seen as more friendly to ties in India and particularly in reopening trade. In contrast, Prime Minister Khan has actually targeted Prime Minister Modi in very personal remarks, accused him of running, quote, a Nazi supremacist agenda against the Indian minority. The other back channel, National Security Advisor Ajit Doval and the Pakistani military, which is widely acknowledged to still be operational. And remember, we've spoken about this earlier on Worldview. That is unlikely to be affected by a change in, in, the, in the government at the top in Pakistan. In fact, the fact that there was no military escalation after the Indian missile misfired into Pakistan is really being credited to this channel that at some level the military spoke to each other, the national security. Secretariat in India spoke to the military there. With India also focused on a number of international events, including next year's G20 in Delhi, the situation in Pakistan and ties with Pakistan are not at the present at the top of the Modi government's agenda, but a different prime minister could change the environment in the neighborhood. They may even be able to hold a virtual SARC summit, something Pakistan has been unable to hold all these years because of India's objections. And this might be something with a new leader that India may actually agree to. It is also significant, remember, that during the current Ukraine crisis, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, India and Pakistan's positions internationally have not been dissimilar. And that Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, given all the tensions with India, he's visiting Pakistan and Nepal and South Asia next week, might make a visit to Delhi as well. And there's much more about that on the Hindus' website. So I'm going to leave all these thoughts over here because clearly this is an unfolding event. Uh, we will certainly pick it up for you on Worldview. And I'll give you some quick reading recommendations. We've given you many recommendations in the past on Pakistan. So I'll look at some recent ones which you could do as a kind of quick refresher if you like. In fact, uh, more recently, it is The Struggle for Pakistan, A Muslim Homeland and Global Politics by Aisha Jalal, which is fair in a way, uh, one of the best, most comprehensive analyses of Pakistan, a more academic one that has come out more recently called Political Conflict in Pakistan by Mohammad Wasim. That's another book. Then there is, of course, the author Hussein Haqqani, and I've recommended him so many times before. He's a politician, diplomat, and journalist in the past, now in virtual exile in the United States, at least out of the country from Pakistan. He has three more recent books, and I would urge you to read all of them. There's Between the Mosque and Military, there's Reimagining Pakistan, and then there's Magnificent delusions about the Pakistan-US relationship. Then there are a few good recent biographies 
that might be worth reading. The Bhutto Dynasty, The Struggle for Power in Pakistan. This is by Owen Bennett Jones, and it came out, I think, just in 2020 or 2021. And then there's Imran Khan's own uh, autobiography, A Personal History. It's called Pakistan, A Personal History by Imran Khan. And it's unlike his previous memoirs, which are really about his cricketing times. There is also a what looks like an authorized biography called The Political Journey of Imran Khan. It's more of a hagiography, but it does contain some very interesting anecdotes. And then there are two books by Indian experts in recent years, which you might enjoy. Uh, one is called Pakistan at the Helm by Tilak Devashar. And he really writes about so many Pakistani leaders and how they gained and lost power. And uh, he's also the author of Courting the Abyss. And that's about Pakistan too. And then the other book is The People Next Door by former ambassador T.C.A. Raghavan. So we hope you enjoy reading up on these and watching the events there in Pakistan. I can tell you that the Dawn newspaper's website certainly has some very comprehensive explainers as well. And there's a lot more, of course, here at The Hindu. But that's all we have time for from the team here. Thanks for watching.